encouraging words in that song. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. Well, amen. Beautiful song. Uh, singing about the gospel of the Lord and what He's done for us. It, it should never get old. As a matter of fact, even with these songs that we sing, it doesn't matter how old or new they are, any time that they speak about the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ, and, and truthfully, they should every time, it should encourage us. It should engage our hearts, our minds. It should it should draw us to want to praise Him all the more. It should should strengthen us tonight. And so, take your Bibles, turn with me to uh, Psalm 18. I'm gonna put in a cough drop. Is that all right with y'all? All right. I was gonna do it anyways, but I just want to be sure. <laughs> all right. That preach on Sunday mornings wasn't so long winded. He probably wouldn't feel this way on Sunday nights. But somebody have to talk to him about that. <laughs> Anyways, Psalm 18 tonight, we're going to read the first um, three verses tonight, uh, uh, first, yeah, first three verses tonight or so, I don't know how far we'll get, but um, I'd originally uh, had this last Sunday night, and then you guys decided to ruin that and throw a surprise birthday party, so uh, tonight, oh yeah, thank you, that's right, by the way, no, I thoroughly enjoyed it, but uh, so as I was thankful this week I got to kind of go back through and and uh, freshen this up and and uh, the Lord Lord gave me some some new things with this and sort of a new perspective truthfully we could read the same chapter of the Bible every day the rest of our life and because this is a living book the living word of God it should still bring new life and and uh, praying that this this is what it will do for us tonight but I want to read verses one through three tonight that, that's about as far as we'll get I'm sure um, but it tells us I will love Thee, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my buckler and the horn of my salvation, and my high tower. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from mine enemies. Let us pray tonight. Lord, we love You. We come to You this night. We just want to thank You, God, because You've given us just such a sweet day in Your house, Lord, with Your people. And Lord, in Your presence, God, to, to, to hear our, our missionary, to present, uh, to have, have God's people rise up and to want to bless Him all the more. And, and as well, God, just to be able to hear songs and to sing songs and to hear Your Word, God, just to point us to Christ moment by moment to refresh our, our hearts or to prepare us for this upcoming week. We pray that tonight would be just that. I pray that You would help me tonight, God, that You'd give physical, spiritual strength, that You would clear our hearts and our minds from all things that would distract us or discourage us. God, that we might see Your Word tonight and that we might see Christ tonight. And Lord, I pray that You would just meet the need of every person tonight. Lord, there's not one of us here tonight who is, who is at, without need. God, we're in need of You. And so God, I pray that You would speak to us from Your Word tonight. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, normally what we've been doing is about a psalm every Sunday night. Psalm 18 is about the longest one we've gotten to thus far. And, and you guys know... You know, we, we'll take our time through this. So if I had to rush through 50 verses tonight, we'd be in a mess. Now, nevertheless, what we're going to do is look at these three verses tonight. There is so much in here, but I want to start by giving us a little bit of context for, for Psalm 18. Contextually, this comes right after Psalm 17, and right before Psalm 19, it's smack dab in the middle. But as we see, what the, what the psalmist have been doing so far has been declaring who God is and what He's done for us, as well as has been 
a, a cry out to God. We often think of the Psalms as just the songbook of the Bible, and there is truth. It absolutely is. These are hymns and psalms and songs and poems, and, but much of the Psalms themselves, out of all of them, out of 150 of them, about half of them are lament. They are mourning. They are even weeping and, and difficulties and tragedies. And what we're going to see here is in Psalm 18, we're going to find one of, of triumph. That, that should be encouragement to us tonight. Much as we just sang a moment ago, right? Uh, we, we live because, because He lives, I can face tomorrow. That sort of idea is going to be seen here in Psalm 18 as well here. But furthermore, David is reflecting over all the victories that God has given to him. We're going to see that this is going to be a, a parallel to Psalm 22. We'll get over to that in just a moment. But this causes him to praise God for continued faithful and merciful deliverance from his enemies. There is not one enemy, whether it be your own flesh or the devil himself in your life, that God will not give victory to one day. And we sing it at the end of the line of, of the last hymn, Because He Lives, that, that death will give way to victory, right? For us, to live is Christ, to die is gain in this world, but the, the worst thing that will happen to us as a Christian, as we've said before, is that we'll die and go to heaven. To, to be absent of the body, to be present with the Lord. And in that moment that we see our Savior, every trial will be over, every difficulty will be over, every goodbye will be over, that we shall be with our Lord forevermore, fully, finally, completely delivered, not just from this temporary world and the difficulties that it faced, but we will be delivered from the very presence of sin itself. There is coming a day that we will never fail our God again. And up to this point in David's life, who's the author here of this psalm, he's failed God at times. He's going to fail God some more. Why? Because he's in his flesh. And as long as we're in our flesh, we're going to have triumphs. We're going to have even more failures, especially if we live in the flesh. But hold your place here for a moment. Turn with me backwards to 2 Samuel uh, chapter 22. 2 Samuel chapter 22. This is going to show us this sort of parallel. Ultimately, Psalm 18 is nearly word for word verbatim 2 Samuel 22, which is David's psalm of praise here. We're just going to look clearly not at 51 verses of 2 Samuel 22. That's one more verse in the psalm, so we'd be in real trouble there. But we're going to look here at just the first few verses that are going to be parallel with where we're at tonight. And, and if the Lord allows, we'll try to do that week by week as we work through this psalm. There's much here. 2 Samuel chapter 22, verse number 1 tells us, And David spake unto the Lord the words of this song in the day that the Lord had delivered him out of the hand of all his enemies and out of the hand of Saul. And he said, The Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer. The God of my rock and him will I trust. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation, my high tower, my refuge, my Savior. Thou savest me from violence. I will call on the Lord who is worthy to be praised, so shall I be saved from mine enemies. Now the psalm, of course, continues on there, but we see the parallels of those few verses compared to Psalm 18, where we're going to be at tonight. We see this list of, of metaphors and descriptions that David is crying out to the Lord in praise, perhaps even dancing. He's certainly singing to God, and he's praising God for who God is, not just for what God has done. But notice this. You and I often know more about what God is like and who He is based upon the actions of His mighty hand in our life. When we see God move in our life, we learn not just about the things that God does, but we learn more so about His character. Here at this point, David has found that he is learning about the character, the attributes, the almightiness of God, the tender care of God, the same God who is holding all of creation in the palm of His hand, but as well the very same God that is tenderly and carefully delivering his servant David from his enemies. Now, turn back with me to Psalm 18. Now, clearly this was written, as we just saw in, in 2 Samuel 22, at a time of triumph, at a time when David was facing life or death struggles, and God delivered him. This psalm would become, throughout David's life, certainly a a place of source of, of strength and refuge. You ever have a, anyone got a favorite hymn that they love? A couple of you, right? You kind of go back to that hymn over and over again, don't you, right? Uh, anybody willing to share what theirs might be tonight? A little bit. What's yours? Nearer my God to thee? Anybody else? Yes, ma'am? 
Jesus loves me? Yes, ma'am? How great thou art? And can it be? Anybody else? Yes, ma'am? The goodness of God, right? So there's a wide variety here. Mine's the hokey pokey. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Mine's an older hymn that a lot of folks don't know, but it's uh, He Will Hold Me Fast. There's a tremendous amount of these songs. And notice that much of these songs that we think about, what do they do? They bring a time of refreshment to our heart. Whether we sing them good or not, I believe that when we sing these songs that come back to our heart and to our, our mind, they're being brought back by the Spirit of God within us to remind us of who Christ is and what He's done for us. They are to exhort us, to encourage us, to fill us with strength one more time. And we go back to these things, and we go back to the Psalms often, right? We go back to the Psalms often for strength, for help. The Lord placed in my heart a long time ago when we've been going through these Psalms for a reason on Sunday nights because we're all preparing for this upcoming week. And how many of you know, how many of you got plans for this upcoming week? Anybody got doctor's appointments, visits, bills to pay? Maybe you just don't got anything to do and you're just going, oh, we'll see what happens, right? Maybe that's a, that's a good way to live too, I guess. Nevertheless, we don't know exactly what tomorrow holds, do we? There's a lot of uncertainty. And so when we come back to the Psalms, when we come back to those songs of old that, that encourage us, that strengthen us, what it does is it prepares us to trust God all the more knowing that no matter what we face, no matter all the uncertainty in this life around us, in our own personal daily life, that God remains a steadfast rock for us that we can cling to. That He is a rock of ages, right? He is one that we can, he is one that we can trust day by day. Now, as we look to this tonight, we're going to see David's defense. And throughout this psalm, ultimately, in these verses that we'll see tonight, he starts off by saying, I will love thee, O Lord. That's a great way to start a song. It's a great way to start a prayer. It's a great way to start your day. It's a great way to end your day. It's a great way to live your life. I will love thee, O Lord. It is declarative, right? God is the Lord. It is declaring your love for the Lord. But as well, it is a decision. It is not just declarative, but it is decisive. I am deciding to love the Lord today. When you wake up next to your, sp uh, next to your spouse and, and their breath is fine, right? You decide that day to love them, don't you? Despite that. Mine's worse, alright? This is going to get worse. You make a choice, don't you? There's a decision. I will love you. I love you. Even saying to your spouse or to your loved one or to your friend, to your family, and looking them eyeball to eyeball and telling them, I love you. What is that? It is both declarative and decisive. You are declaring your love and you are deciding what's more to express your love, to show your love, and to want to go deeper in your love for them. Here David declares his love for God who is his strength. Now we'll get more into the my strength part as we get into these verses, but I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. One author writes about this verse and he says, this was a triumphant declaration made in a season of great triumph. It is true that David decided to love the Lord, but even more true that he simply felt compelled to love the Lord who delivered him so wonderfully. I wonder when's the last time that we felt so right with God, so overwhelmed by God's goodness, that we could simply just go to Him and tell Him, I love you, Lord. I love Thee, O Lord. That right there, if the whole Psalm 18 or all of 2 Samuel 22 was simply this, if 2 Samuel 22 and Psalm 18 read this way, and David spake unto the Lord the words of this song in the day that the Lord had delivered him out of the hand of his enemies and out of the hand of Saul, and he said, I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. If that was the whole song, if that was the whole psalm, what a wonderful song to sing. If that is a way to live life. It is a life of faith. The flesh will never love God. Only by faith can we know the love of God and only by faith can we express the love of God to God. And the only reason why we love God according to 1 John is because He first loved us. If there's ever been a reason to love God, it's because He loves me. If there's ever a reason for me to express my love to God, it's because He has certainly expressed His love to me. How has He done so? We look to the cross. We look to the love expressed in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. That And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
Jesus died for the ungodly, loving them all the way, loving us through, as we talked about this morning, our omniscient God who knows all, yet still loves us. He sees my sin, knows my sin, even before I sin, and yet still loves me. If there's ever been a reason to express like David here, I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. Now is the time. Today is the day. Moment by moment, we should be able to express our love to the Lord. Now, David does so here not out of obligation. He does so out of obedience and a genuine love. Here, what we find is the difference between those who know God's grace and those who strive to do God's law. Those who are saved by grace through faith, who are trusting in God's promise and His provision for salvation alone, what we find is that they are able to freely express their love for God, whereas those who are tormented by trying to earn their salvation or work for their salvation, they can never freely say, I love you, God, because they often have a terror of Him. Such a a terror, not a, a holy fear that drives them to God, but rather one that drives them away from Him. In Martin Luther's testimony, he faced much of this before he was saved. He used to strive to do the law and strive to keep the commands and strive to do all these things, trying to work and earn his salvation. And what he found is that he was petrified of God and even said to a point that he did not love Him because of that. He was so fearful. Here we find the opposite. David is free to love God. David expresses his love for the Lord, showing the closeness in relationship with God. You don't just say I love you to anybody, do you? Let's put it this way. When's the last time that you looked at your cashier at Food Line and you said, thank you so much. I just want you to know I love you today for bagging up my groceries. That was so nice of you. You did such a wonderful job. I just love you. You might have. I don't know. We know you might. Who knows what's going to happen? You might get a discount on your groceries that way. You might get some real MVP savings. I don't know. But, but you say, I love you to those that you, you love, don't you? And what we have done as a generation over the past few generations that we have so softened that idea of love that we've taken the whole idea of sacrifice, a giving of oneself. When David says, I love thee, O Lord, he's saying, I love you and I give myself to you. You've given yourself to me, God, and your love for me. And now I give myself to you. I love you, O Lord. You have delivered me. You are my strength, my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God. All of these things. Let's get into this some more. What we see is that faith in God builds a love for God. If you're not trusting God, don't expect those sort of tingly feelings of love for God. Right? Now, here's what happens is that we often want the emotion of knowing God's love and being able to express God's love, but we will not have that or truly have that without a knowledge of Him, a knowledge of walking with Him, of trusting Him, of knowing Him. This is why we've got to see this. We often got two groups. We've got one group over here. They normally look like this. They're real scrunched up. They're real angry looking all the time. And they preach hard doctrine, and that's needed. And then we've got the, the group over here, and they're not so scrunched up. They're more just big smiles. They know love and emotion and expression, right? And this one lives for emotion. This one lives for excitement. And this one lives just to be right, right? He just wants to be right. He's got no love about him. But yet what we find is this. The more truth that we know about God and the more that we see who He is, the more we trust Him. And the more that we trust Him, it leads to a natural love. So this, this side can't produce doctrine and this side by itself can't produce love. What we need is that we find the two come together because we should love the doctrines of the Bible. We should love the truth of God's Word because in it, in the truth of God's Word, is the expression of God's love to us. Therefore, faith in God builds a love for God. And we love Him because He first loved us. And so it begs the question tonight, what is our relationship like with the Lord? Are we close enough with the Lord where we can freely go to Him tonight? I love Thee, O Lord. What a wonderful thing it might be for some of us to sit down sometime, especially those of us who are going through some trials in our life. And you might be going through a trial in your life, and I don't know what you're going through. You do, and so does God. God knew it before you. We talked about that this morning. What I would encourage you, perhaps, take some time, get a pen and a paper, and sit down, and at the top, 
I love thee, O Lord. And then just line by line, here's why. Here's why. You know, there was a time when you were dating, courting, engaged, that you'd write fancy, mushy-gushy love letters, right? You might spray that eau de toilette spray on there, right? Make it real fancy. Just express your love, right? I love you so, so much, right? Real good with words like that. But you know, <clears throat> when you think about God, He's done so much more for us than anyone else in this world. If we are comfortable putting on pen and paper where one day our kids and grandkids or someone else that might the garbage man might see, Ugh, who wrote this, right? They thought they were a poet. Roses are red, violets are blue. I really love you, right? I mean, it's just, if we're not ashamed of that, why would we be ashamed to write down to the Lord, to tell Him why we love Him, who He is and what He's done for us? And David does this in a song. Whether there's others around Him or not, we're unsure. Nevertheless, what we find is that David lived a life that was unashamed to know and to walk with God as we should live as well. Now, David expresses the many reasons that God is worthy to be praised. And these are the many things that the Lord is for David and for us tonight. Here in verse 2, we'll get into this. We had already seen in verse 1, I will love the Lord my strength. He is David's strength. We'll get into this as we go. In verse number 2 and 3, we're going to see now the reasons to love God that David expresses. God, I love you because you are this for me. You are these things in my life. He begins with this. The Lord, the Lord God, the Lord Jehovah, the, the Lord who reigns, the Creator God, the God who is all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present, the God who sees me and formed, and, uh, it formed me and fashioned me in my mother's womb, the God who knows me inside and out, the Lord is my rock. That's a good one right there, isn't it? The Lord is my rock. The idea of rock is that God is a place of concealment, refuge, and a foundation that can be trusted by faith. We find that Jesus even talks about this with, with a parable of it. You've got one who builds their house and another builds their house, and one builds it on sand, another one builds it on solid ground, solid rock, a foundation, a firm foundation. And there, is there any more of a firm foundation than the Lord our God? He is our rock. Now notice David is not saying God is a rock. Right? He is saying he's, he's my rock. He's not a literal rock, but the idea is that spiritually speaking, he is one that delivers, that conceals us, that is a refuge, a, a place, a foundation that can be trusted. Even Christ is called and likened to being the cornerstone, the, the founding, the one that, that is there to build everything else upon. We must build our life upon the Lord, upon his word, upon his work. To build your life around anything else is to build it on shifting, shaky sand. God's character is seen here in His work. We find this idea as well throughout the Scripture that the Lord is my rock. A rock, it could provide an essential shade, always needed in the merciless sun and the heat of the desert. Isaiah 32 tells us about this. Isaiah 32, verse 2 says, and a man shall be as a hiding place from the wind and a covert from the tempest as rivers of water and a dry place as the shadow of a great rock in a weary land. We also see that in the Scripture that it could provide shelter and protection in its cracks and crevices. We think about this in Exodus 33. Moses asked God, show me your glory. And, and here's what happens. God says, okay, I'm going to hide you in the cleft of the rock. It's this wonderful idea that I'm going to hide you from all of my glory because if you saw all of my glory, you'd die. But if you see my afterglow, you'll still be changed. But you'll know and you'll see my glory. You'll see. And God literally comes by, if you will, and shows Him who He is. Now this is a wonderful thing to see that God is a place of refuge, a place of concealment, one of a foundation that is sure. Furthermore, it could provide a firm place to stand and fight as opposed to sinking sand. Psalm 40 tells us about this a little bit. Psalm 40, 
Verse 1 and 2 says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and He inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. There's a firmness to it. We can trust the Lord who is our rock. He's not going anywhere. He's sure. He's steadfast. He's unmovable. He's unbreakable. He's unshakable. He is a great foundation, a place of refuge. David here is putting his trust in God's promise, his provision, his protection, his very presence, knowing that the Lord is my rock. He is not just a rock to go to, but He is my personal rock to cling to. What is your rock in your life? It must be the Lord. It must be His Word. It must be the truth of God's Word every single time. This is why earlier when we talked about what's what's that hymn that you go back to over and over again, and these things that come back to our mind over and over again are there for a reason because they act as a rock, as an anchor for us that we can cling to and hold on to that we can trust when everything else around us seems to be crumbling, we know that God remains our rock. Now this builds, of course. What we're going to find is that many of these over the next few verses have much of a military sort of understanding or, or implication. David, in fact, was a military man, and we even find over and over again, even from an early age, he's fighting lions, tigers, and bears, oh my. He fights a giant and slays him by God's gracious hand. We find that Throughout his life, he would be a man of war, right? Saul slain thousands, but David is tens of thousands, right? Thousands of thousands, right? And so David was a man of war. He knew bloodshed. He knew what it meant to be in the heat of the battle. He knew how to fight a battle, militarily speaking. And so he goes back to many of these things because he's just been delivered from the greatest fight up to this point that it seems that he's faced to some degree. And God has delivered him. And now he's saying, the Lord is my rock and my Fortress. And when we think about fortress, we think about fighting. We think about this military idea. Notice he doesn't say, the Lord is my mansion, or my cottage on a hill, or my cabin in the woods. He says, the Lord is my fortress. Why? Because there is a great spiritual battle still taking place, and David knows this. However, after the victory that God has provided, David stops to praise God for the victory, because if the Lord was not his fortress, David never would have won the battle in the first place. The only reason why any of us have ever won a spiritual battle, let alone a physical battle, is because of God himself. And so we should be reminded daily that the reason why we are here today is because of the Lord's mighty hand. It is because the Lord is our rock and our fortress. And you can put that like David with yourself tonight. He is my rock tonight. He is my fortress Swanson writes here, and this helps to give us some historical background. The word translated thus is Matsada, whence the more modern name Masada derives. The latter was a virtually impregnable fortress rock located in southern Judah. David, no doubt, was aware of this place and its safety. He thus likens the Lord to that fortress. Perhaps even David had spent time at this place in battle. He had seen it been used. He had seen it as a place of not just refuge for soldiers, but, a, but an outpost, if you will, for the battle uh, that was at hand. Now, let me ask you, would you like to fight? And let's think, maybe military, how many of you guys ever had to get into a fight before? A couple of you, right? Did you want to fight to win? Or did you want to lose that fight? You fought to win, didn't you? Now, sometimes when you fight to win, you've got to think a little bit. Let's think on a broad scope here. Do you want the low ground or the high ground? I want the high ground, right? Do you want to be on sand or on a rock? I want the rock, right? Do you want to have no armor or do you want to have all the armor, right? I want to have as much protection as possible. Now, when you are looking at a fight, and when we're looking at spiritual warfare tonight, do you want to be off by yourself or do you want to be in the fortress? I want to be in the fortress, right? You think about this, much of ancient times, and even to some degree to today, what we find is that the ancient cities had walls built around them. They would have fortresses and high towers, which we'll get into in a little bit. They had places where it could be easily defended. It was a place that wave after wave of enemy fighters could come against it, if you will, and they would be thwarted and repelled. This is a place where you want to fight from. 
I don't want to fight the enemy out there where it's an even fight. I want to fight them here where I'm in the fortress. You say, well, that's not fair. That's fine. That's how you win. I want to be in the fortress. That's where the protection is. What he's saying here is God is my protector. God is my fortress. If someone is coming against you and you are in God, God before us, who can be against us? What can separate us from the love of God? Nothing. Matter of fact, Paul gives this whole long list of all these things. If God be for us, who can be against us? If, if all these things come against us, what can separate? Nothing. Why? Because He is our very fortress. We also find then David says, and He is my deliverer. That's pretty clear and plain, isn't it? David does not say, it's my sword that is my deliverer. He does not say, it is my army that is my deliverer. It is not my generals that are my deliverer. It is not my mighty men of valor that are my deliverer. It is not my shield that is my deliverer. It is not my spear that is my deliverer. My God is my deliverer. The Lord is my deliverer. He is the one that delivers me. God is the one who delivers David, not David. God is the one that delivers you, not you. God is the one that delivers me, not me. We must trust. And what we find even later on in this psalm, around verse 19 or so, we're going to see here that David even says that God delights and takes delight in him, and that's why he does deliver him. God delights to deliver his people, but I can tell you this, it's much easier when we look at this to understand that God certainly delights to not just deliver people or to deliver His people, but those who are faithful to Him. He delivers them time and time again. The Psalms often recount these accounts of the Old Testament, specifically that of Israel, where God would continuously deliver them over and over and over again. And you and I could probably, especially the longer that we've lived for the Lord, the longer that we've known the Lord, you and I could write volumes about times that God has delivered us. But you and I right now, if we were to think, I don't know if I could write volumes, well, perhaps it's because we've never sat down to do so. We could think about some big things that God's delivered us from, but how about the little things? You ever notice if you're, if you're walking along, you're going down even the sidewalk, and you just stumble over a rock, but you don't fall, and you don't twist your ankle? Do you think that was your balance or God's deliverance? It's God's deliverance. You could say, well, it's my balance, my natural cat-like reflexes. You know? Well, you could say that. Or you could give God the praise for delivering you because something bad could have happened. We never know. I think it's much more on the conservative and safe side to go ahead and praise God for the things that you think you did and go ahead and give Him the credit and the glory for it anyways. He's my deliverer. And then just to clarify for this song, he says, not only the Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, but he says, he's my God. The Lord is my God. Now, that phrase, the Lord is my God, it's very plain, it's very clear, but it also separates that there is no other Lord, there is no other God, and that that same Lord God of all things, of all creation, is my God. David is declaring and deciding once more, this is who I will serve. Why? Because he's got several good reasons to love Him and to praise Him and to serve Him anyways. He is His strength, His Lord, His rock, His fortress, His deliverer. Therefore, He's my God. He's the one I will trust. God being God is enough reason to trust Him and praise Him. You and I sometimes look for reasons to have to praise God. The fact that God is God is enough reason to praise God. We often, and I think we do this because... We're always at times, whether we know it subconsciously or not, we're oftentimes trying to do things so that someone else will tell us, you did a fine job. You did an okay job. Way to not mess up. Whatever it might be. We want to get told this. We want credit for things. God being God, and if He did nothing else except for be God, would be enough credit and enough reason to serve Him, to love Him, to praise Him. We sometimes overcomplicate reasons to love God or to serve Him and to praise Him simply for who He is. Not even just for what He does. 
Now, David has expressed, God has been my rock. He's been my fortress. He's delivered me. But simply because He's the Lord and He is my God, therefore I will praise Him. I will trust Him. He is the Almighty God who has saved David. He's chosen David. He's delivered David. He's made a covenant with David. He's taken care of David and will continue to do so. He's made promises to David. He's been there for David. He's been these things for David. Therefore, he must trust him. Tonight, do you see the same for the Lord in your life? He goes on and he says, my strength, one more time. Verse 1, I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. And here, the Lord is my strength. David does not look down at his arms and see bulging forearms and biceps and look down and see big calf muscles and, and, and his sword and his spear and his shield and the sweat of his brow and the veins popping out and say, yeah, I'm strong. No. No, matter of fact, he says, the Lord is my strength. We sometimes miss out and we think that God gives us strength just to do the big things. God gives you the strength to do the little things. The Lord is my strength to take out the trash. The Lord is my strength to go to work. The Lord is my strength to drive. The Lord is my strength to, to listen to a sermon. The Lord is my strength to read the Bible. The Lord is my strength to pray. The Lord is my strength for everything. When we begin to see our great need for God for everything, we begin to find that God is there in everything that we do. And that He is the strength and the source of strength for all that we do. We find out that it's not so much our hand that has provided anything for us, but it's the hand of God in us and through us and for us. We find that He is the very strength that we have. The only strength that David had is the strength of the Lord. The only strength that we have is the strength of the Lord. God is our salvation and strength. Therefore, David trusts Him. Has there ever been a time when your strength has failed? Yes. I'll answer it for you. I know mine has. Matter of fact, Isaiah talks about it. Even the youth shall grow weary, shall stumble, fall, all these things. It's so difficult. It doesn't matter what age you are. Life is tough and, and our bodies and our minds, they fail. But God's strength never does. There's never a day in God's life where He says, you know what, I'm going to have to take me a nap. It's just been a hard day today. There's never been anything hard for God to do. There's never been anything in this life that has zapped God of His energy or His strength or His power or His might or His knowledge. Therefore, we should praise Him and draw upon that well of water that is an everlasting life strength for us that He's given to us. We'll only find God's strength, however, in surrender. What I mean by that is this. We've got to surrender the idea that we think we're strong. We've got to surrender the idea that we think that we're strong spiritually, physically, financially, whatever we might be. Everything in a moment could go away. There was a man named Job, and he was a pretty strong fella. We're not des describing his, his looks or anything like that, but he was strong, if you will, because he had, he had land, he had a big family, which was a, a blessing and, and, and viewed as you know, something to be known for. He had wisdom and knowledge. He had uh, animals and, and servants and all these things. And you know what? In a day, everything was gone. Everything for us could be gone in less than a day. In a moment. Like that. And what will we do when that happens? Certainly we'd have to rely on the Lord's strength, wouldn't we? Some of you have been through in the year and a half that we've been here through some things that you've had to and the only way that you've gotten through it is because of the strength of the Lord. But here's the issue. We've got to see that there's nothing that we don't need God's strength for. We need His strength for everything. And when we abide in the strength of the Lord, what we find is that there is an enduring strength by faith that God gives to us daily to do what He's called us to do. In our weakness, there is God's strength readily available for us to persevere, to keep on going for the Lord. Not by our strength, but by His. He continues on and he says, He's my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust. Once more, declarative and decisive. I will trust in Him. And a decision. I will trust in Him. David doesn't even want to trust in himself. Because he can't trust himself. 
We know David's testimony. He certainly couldn't trust himself, could he? We know our testimonies. We can't trust ourselves either. But he says, I will trust God. Why? Because of who God is. Because of what God has done. God's track record. God's resume is pristine and perfect and pure. There's no gaps in his work history. There's no times where he got fired from a job. There's no times where he even quit a job. God has been God and remained God and He has been who He always has been and always will be. Building off his military experience, he continues and he says, I'll trust Him because the Lord is my buckler. Now, 2 Samuel 22 put it in an easier way for that you and I would put it, and that's the Lord is my shield. He is my defense. And we're told here that this idea is a military term in reference to a shield. God is a shield of defense for His people. Every man would go into battle with normally one or two items, at least a, a, perhaps a spear, a sword, and a shield. One blocks the blow of the enemy, and one takes it to him. Right? You need both. They didn't fight like, like we fight in, in modern warfare today where you could be hundreds of yards away from each other or even miles away from each other and, and, and drop bombs and have artillery. This was hand-to-hand, face-to-face combat. Dirt and blood and gore everywhere. What we find is that it was a, it was a mean business. You needed a shield for protection. And he says, the Lord is my shield. He is my buckler. Now we find in spiritual warfare later on that God provides for us a shield. He Himself is our shield, but as well we're told in Ephesians that we have been given the shield of faith. That we must trust in the Lord and that it is able to, to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. What we find today is that it is not our faith that quenches the fiery darts. Rather, it is the one that we're putting our faith in. You can have all the faith you want, but faith in the wrong thing will let an arrow fly right through you. We need faith in the Lord who is our shield. I'm not trusting in my own faithfulness to be my shield because if that's the case, it goes up and down, left and right, all sorts of times. We, I'd be in an issue. right? I'd be in trouble here. I'd have a problem. But when I trust in the steadfastness, the safety, the, the, the assurity of who God is, therefore I know that when I hold up that shield, the Lord is the one who protects. The Lord is the one who provides that protection from the enemy. Furthermore, he gives this one. And the horn of my salvation. Anyone ever read the horn of my salvation and wondered what in the world does that mean? I have. The rest of y'all, y'all already knew it because y'all Bible scholars. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> the horn, it's often referenced several things. I believe here that we've got a, a, a definition that's going to be a little bit deeper for us than what we might have heard before, though. I believe it will be helpful. The horn is often talked of, when we think about a horn, you and I, what's your first thought when you think about a horn? Honk, honk, right? Or maybe if you're in the circus, honk, honk, right? You think about a horn. You think about something that's going to make noise, it's going to alert. Perhaps you think in ancient times, military battles, they used to take horns and they used to blow them. Uh, even during times uh, of worship, you'd have a shofar, right, to, to prep everybody for worship, and they'd, they'd blow it, right, the whole thing. I believe here what we look at when we dive deeper into this word and to the biblical sense of this horn of salvation goes much deeper. Williams writes here, In the priestly service and the worshiping life of Israel, the altar horns, which were on the altar, in the tabernacle and in the temple, they were on the corners, right? They were horn-shaped. Notice this. They were associated with the provision of atonement through the shedding of blood. They held no small place in the ritual symbolism of God's forgiveness that would be fulfilled by Christ. Perhaps this connection between the altar's horns and the atonement for sin is why several characters in the Old Testament, when fearing that they might be killed, took hold of the horns of the altar. To do this was to plead for mercy. Now, if we take that understanding and we Go back to the Scripture here. The Lord is 
the horn of my salvation. It has a little bit deeper of a meaning, doesn't it? The Lord is the one that I go to because I've got nowhere else to go for salvation. I can literally cling on to Him and ask for mercy, and mercy is available. I can go to Him and know that the blood of Christ that has been sprinkled upon the mercy seat is enough to save my soul. I can cling to the horn. I can cling not trusting in the physical horn, but trusting in the God who is the horn of my salvation, the one who gives mercy to those who ask for mercy, who gives mercy through the shedding of blood, the forgiveness of sins. We find that atonement and redemption has been provided for us. But to grasp a hold of the horns of salvation there, that's the act of faith. To plead for God to intervene. That's what we find here. David had done this in his life. He says, he's the horn of my salvation. He's the only thing that can atone for my sin. He's the only one that can save much more than physically, but spiritually. He's the only one that I can trust with my eternity. God is our only hope of mercy, and we must cling to Him by faith. I would tell you tonight, whether you've been saved for one year or a hundred years, continue to cling to the horn of your salvation. Cling to Christ. And tonight, if you've never been saved, I would tell you the same thing. Go and cling to Christ and He will not let you go. Praise God that He won't. Then He says one more military term. My high tower. Y'all know what a high tower is? It's a high tower. They would build this around the walls, around the city, where the fortress would be, if you will. But the high tower was up just a, a little bit more. I was nervous. I didn't know if it was going to hold. It held. Oh, we're good. It goes up higher though. You're looking, right? The fortress here would be down here, if you will, right? It, it's the wall. It's what we can hide behind. It's our shelter, our refuge, a place for fighting and easier fighting from the enemy as the enemy comes. But the high tower, it's up higher where the enemy can be seen way off in the distance, right? They didn't have drones back in the day. They didn't have satellite surveillance or anything like that. They had high towers. They had a watchman in the high tower who would watch day and night in shifts to make sure that no enemy would approach. And if the enemy would approach, they could sound beacons and alarms, light fires, prepare for the battle that was approaching, that they could defend their lives, defend their city. This high tower provides defense, a refuge, a fighting position, as well as this place to see what's coming ahead. Now this is important because I can't see what's coming ahead, can you? I can't always see when the enemy is coming or approaching. Therefore, the Lord is my high tower. God is the one who sees the enemy approaching, and God is the one who will defend me from my enemy. God is the one who will not only defend me from my enemy, but deliver me from my enemy. And the greatest enemy in my life is not someone that does not like me. The greatest enemy in my life is not another nation that might bring war here. The greatest enemy in my life is sin. Only Christ can conquer the great enemy of sin. Christ has made the way, has brought the victory, and one day, dear believer, we will face that final day of victory. There's coming a day, if you will, in the new heavens and the earth, where we could have watchtowers, if you will, all around that heavenly city. And you know what we will never see again approach and enter into that city? An enemy of God. Not one. Not one. Now verse 3, and we're done. This brings us to the time that because of all that God is, because of all that God has done, David is confident in faith to call upon God and trust and praise. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised so shall I be saved from mine enemies. The outburst of metaphors affirms David's confidence in the Lord's ability to deliver. Therefore, he is praiseworthy. Spurgeon put it this way, To be saved singing is to be saved indeed. Many are saved mourning and doubting, but David had such faith that he could fight singing and win the battle with a song still on his lips. You and I, no matter what we might face in our life, 
should still be able to sing and praise the Lord. Earlier when we talked about those hymns, those hymns probably come back to your mind when things are rough, don't they? They come back when things are unsure. They come back when things are unsteady in your life or there's a great deal of concern and it comes back to your mind and you just start singing, humming, thinking about those words. Why? Because it causes you to praise the Lord. We find that there is great strength and refuge in praising God. We must never be more willing to ask God for help than we are to praise Him. And David here was much more willing to praise God than just asking for help. The two go hand in hand. Where there is declarative praise, there will be a deliverance from the enemy. God provides and takes care of His people. And David here says, I'm going to call upon God. I'm going to keep calling upon God because He's worthy. He'll always be worthy. So shall I be safe from my enemies. David says, I'd rather be safe from my enemies singing and praising God than to just be safe from my enemies by my own sword. Tonight, it should be our heart that we would rather be saved from the world around us praising God than sitting like a bump on a log. One of the sweetest things today was hearing everyone softly and sweetly joining in to sing with Tony. It was a sweet moment this morning. Why? Everybody knew that, that verse, sang right along. But I noticed nobody wanted to sing too loud, right? But we still sang, didn't we? And you could almost feel the encouragement in the room. You could feel your heart flutter maybe a little bit of going, this is what it's supposed to be like. There's something different about this. I'm not talking about emotionalism. I'm talking about where the truth of who God is stirs our hearts to praise Him. And what David does here is what a Christian life should look like. Lord, You are these things, therefore I will praise You. I will trust You. To know God is to trust God. To trust God is to praise God. And we must praise Him. Why? Because the goal of our life is to give God glory. The more of the glory of God that we know, as He reveals Himself to us by His grace, by faith we may now freely give Him glory and honor and praise for who He is and what He has done. Tonight, we're going to close in prayer. I want us to simply just praise the Lord. And tonight, as we leave here, we would be encouraged to praise the Lord for who He is. And as we work through this psalm some more, we'll see all that God is for us and all that He has done. Let us pray. Lord, we love You. And Lord, help us like David to simply declare our love for You, Lord, because You are all these things for us and then some. God, You've never failed us. You've never faltered. You've always been faithful to us. And God, we thank You for that. Help us, Lord, to love You with pure hearts, with hearts that want to praise You and to glorify You in all things, through all things, and Lord, even for all things. God, we pray that You would help us as we go from this place, that You would continue to be our strength, that we would trust in You and not ourselves. God, that You would deliver us. And God, that we might praise You all throughout our day. Lord, we ask that we would be used of You this week, and that we would praise You and glorify You while we do it. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all have a blessed night. Lord willing, we'll see you guys Wednesday night.